Okay, so um, so we've um, so we've discussed. So, any questions on this? This the fifth seal, the idea of the martyrs. The, the um, again, let's just go over it. So, we've done the four seals. They create the environment by which the end times are coming. I, I actually have a book that I brought today by a guy named Meredith Klein. I would just not jump into this book. Um, this is like this is like seminary. I mean, advanced seminary stuff. So I wouldn't. I'm not going to recommend that you buy it. But I will tell you that he is. He has made various allusions to back to this idea, and his idea of the martyrs that are under the altar are what we agree with. That there is always a two to threefold concept when it comes to Christian martyrs. One is is that. Uh, the first and foremost is the word martyreia, and the actual real definition of what that word is, is that is, is witness. And so when you talk about being a martyr for Christ, you are in fact talking about, hang on, being a witness. And that can be in any kind of form, because you're giving your life, and that's what Jesus says figurative, figuratively. What does he say? Anybody who will follow me must take up your cross. What does that entail? Dying to yourself. That is martyrdom for the sake of the kingdom. So all of us in this room are actual Christian martyrs if we have traded this life for the, for the faith of a new life. Okay? So that's the first idea of martyrdom. The second martyrdom is this, and this is the best definition that I've heard, is to suffer for the sake of Christ, here's the key word, even unto death. Okay? So any person that suffers under this call for, that, uh, for the sake of the gospel is, in fact, a martyr. And the last definition of martyrdom is those who physically and actually give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Okay? So three types of definitions for the word martyr. The word martyr is actually used in... Uh, my understanding is, and I haven't, I haven't actually looked at my Greek lexicon to... to, to Verify this, but the word that's used for those who are under the altar, those who were killed for the sake of the gospel, is, martyr, is, is a form of martyria. So one of those three definitions can apply. That's why there is such a big issue with, with the idea of those that are under the altar. So we are going to go from the part, that, uh, from the stance that all of those that Jesus sees, or that John sees in the fifth seal that are under the altar, the souls of those under the altar who have given their life for the sake of the gospel, are those that die within the church age, who are of the elect, because they have given their life for. And the reason that I hold to that is because it, 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 it absolutely juxtaposes the fourth seal. The fourth seal is death and hate. I, I saw a, white, a pale green horse. The rider on him was death, and Hades followed thereafter. Christians don't go to Hades after the resurrection of Christ. Paul clearly says that. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So the big change, because of the seals being broken and the plan of redemption being inaugurated by the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, is that... The martyrs are no longer. Remember the story of Lazarus? The chasm. They were both basically in the same place. Sheol. And they could speak to one another figuratively. But I think that that's a real picture. I think that there was a, a, a holding place because 
when Jesus ascended, he led captives in his train. And my understanding is, is that all of these people have gone to the altar now. And so the, the two, the death, that fo- Hades that follows death is the, is the resting place of all those who die apart from Christ during the church age. So naturally the next seal would be what about all of those who die as elect during the church age? And the fifth seal gives us that answer. Okay. There was some issue last week with what altar this was. Um, A lot of guys believe that it's the altar of um, sacrifice or the brazen altar that sits outside in 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 the courtroom of the congregation. I don't hold to that because this is post resurrection. There is no need anymore for a brazen altar. Okay, so I I don't hold to that anymore. Now, here's the answer to the question last week that Andy posed. Is was there in the original temple that Jesus that that Moses saw a curtain that separated? The answer to that is no, there was not. Because the barrier is symbolic. Remember the barrier that separated that kept Adam and Eve out of the presence of God? Was it a curtain? What was it? Cherub, two cherub. The point being, the point that the cherub and the curtain represent is separation from from God, from the presence of God. So there is no dividing wall in the throne room. Actually, the dividing wall would be right there. Before Christ, men had no access into the throne room, into into the, the presence of God. Because of Christ... Through the veil of his flesh, we now have access. And therefore, when a Christian dies during the interadvental period, he is under the altar in the very presence of God. Okay, does that make sense? So I don't hold that it's a brazen altar. I'm not going to get into all the theological terms. One of the reasons that I hold that it's the altar of incense is because the very next seal... I'm sorry. Yes, the seal seven is clearly the altar of incense because he takes the prayers of the saints and mixes it with the fire from the golden altar that sits before the Lamb. That is clearly the altar of incense and there is a continuity between this, the call of the martyrs in this and what the angel does by taking the prayers of the saints and hurling it to the earth. That is actually the answer to the prayers, the prayer of the saints in seal 5. Okay, So when we get to seal 7, which is in chapter 8, and the angel takes the incense and hurls it to the earth, that's the prayer being answered of the saints in, in seal 5. How much longer? Wait a little longer before I execute judgment. Seal 7 comes along. The angel puts the prayer, those prayers in with... The, the, the coals from the altar and hurls it to the earth and there was a great earthquake. Okay, so there's a, there's a connection all, in, all, all through there. Any questions so far? So I'm not going to make a big deal about the altar. One author actually says that the altar probably represents both the brazen and the altar of incense, the altar of sacrifice and the altar of incense. I don't think really, to be honest with you, that the altar, whatever altar it is, matters. Um, it does for me because I'm a kind of a theological nut, and so um, 
to identify this rightly is important to me, but understand that there's an altar that sits before God in John's vision where the saints of those who died during the interadvental period are before the Lord and they cry out day and night, how much longer? Okay? So, they called out with a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? What does that sound like to you? Does it sound like Adam, uh, Adam's cry? And listen, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground for vengeance. So there's a lot to this. Um, from the position beneath the altar of incense, the saints petition God to execute His judgment upon those who persecute them and vindicate them before their enemies. Their cry for vengeance is, in fact, a cry for the manifest manifestation of God's judgment, since God would be considered unjust if the ungodly are not judged in accordance to their deeds. So, the cry of the martyrs is for God to do and to vindicate His own word because he said, I am the judge, I will repay. So there's a lot of debate. And this is another one of those things that I think, I think some theologians lay awake at night to try and figure out how to, how to come up with an argument. But a lot of people are saying, well, you know, the, the, the cry for vengeance is inappropriate with scriptural texts for, for us to, because we're supposed to love our enemies and do good to those that persecute us. And I think we've gotten to a point where we, under, we don't understand that God is both love and judgment. And He is vengeful. He will execute His wrath on those that have waved their hand against Him in defiance. And so we don't like those aspects. We try to airbrush those out in American Christianity. Jesus is loving. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is the guy that I hang out with. When Jesus appeared to Paul on the, on the road to Damascus... That's not meek and mild lamb stuff. That's a bright light so that it blinded him. So God is vengeful. He is judging. It's all righteous and it's all done in love, but he is that as well. Um, the wording here indicates insistence and perseverance that their cries come forcefully and continually before the Lord. Uh, this harkens back to the words of Jesus in Luke 18. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. Um, so the appeal, the reason that I say that this is an appeal to God's sovereignty and not to their vindication is because of the way they preface their call. O sovereign Lord, holy and true. They are concerned... Number one, their petition is based on the sovereignty and the absolute authority of God to substantiate and execute their, the, the thing that they're crying out for. They don't go to a judge. They don't go to their friends. They cry out directly to God, vindicate us, because you are sovereign and you alone have the ability to do so. Okay? Holy and true. Uh, God is being requested to demonstrate His holiness and His standard of truth by executing His sovereign justice upon those who have imposed their injustice upon them. This prayer is answered later in the book when God's judgment upon the harlot is announced along with the vindication of the saints in chapter 19. So it's actually spelled out in detail in chapter 19. 
However, the same answer is given symbolically depicted in 8.1 where I said that, the, that they fill the incense and hurl it to earth and there's a great earthquake. So this is why I talk about recapitulation because you're going to find that when we get to the, seventh, to the sixth seal, the sixth seal down here where there's an earthquake, and I'm going to write it right down here, end of age. The sixth seal corresponds with the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl. All of them depict the same event. Okay, so this is why I talk about there being a vision that goes through. There's a vindication of the saints in chapter 19. There's also a vindication of this. There's also the vindication or the answer to the saints' prayer in 8.1. So there's this theme that runs and recurs and goes again and is said from a different perspective and in a different detail as we go through Revelation. So that's why I've been insistent that you can't read this in a chronological order. You must understand that something in Revelation may refer both forward and backward to something, that we've, something else in Revelation. And I've said it before that all of this, the four horsemen, actually have bearing upon, although chronologically in the book it comes after the seven churches, what's going on here is that the churches are actually in the midst of what is being released. So there's a backward aspect to the breaking of the seals as well as a forward aspect. Okay? All right. The prayer itself, the same question of how long is asked in Zechariah 1.12, whereas we have seen, uh, which, as we have seen, is significant because of the parallels between the visions of the horsemen. Now, when we get to the sixth, the, the chapter 7, when he looked and he saw the angels holding back the four winds of the earth, this is very significant. What are the four winds? It's almost impossible to teach this without bringing in other parts of this. But when we talk about the winds of the, uh, and I want to bring this out because of the parallels, when I, when in chapter 7 where it says, and the angels hold back the four winds and they say, do not allow them to harden the earth until the, seven, the, the elect have been sealed, right? What are the four winds? Well, in order to answer that, we actually have to go back to... Zechariah chapter 6. Because the four winds represent the destruction of the, of the, and the judgments of the four horsemen. So basically, in essence, what you're seeing in chapter 7 is four angels holding back the four horsemen and the judgments that they contain until the elect are sealed. So again, we move forward, but yet we're talking about something backward. And we know that because of the parallels in Old Testament Scripture. Revelation is an easy book to read if you know the Old Testament. I'll just tell you that point blank. Um, this has bearing on our current discussion since it gives reason to suggest that the release of the four horsemen in the previous seals is the initial answer to the prayer of the saints. So it is an initial answer. It's the beginning of the answer. Um, to what they're crying out for. The answer to the prayer is then, um, God's answer to their prayer, the prayer of the saints, how much longer is already but not yet. Already but not yet. See, I've released the four horsemen, which will create the environment into which the final outcome of what you're calling for will be, will be uh, realized. 
Um, the inhabitants of the earth or those who dwell on the earth is a recurring name for those who are of the earth and hostile to God or those who are at home in the world. So the revelation makes a distinction by terminology of those that have made the world their home. Those are of the Antichrist or the beast system. Those are the ones that have taken the mark of the beast. And the, the John's uh, terminology of those are the inhabitants of the earth. Okay, so he makes a distinction between who they are. And here, how much longer will you not execute your judgment upon the inhabitants of the earth, those that are hostile to who you are? All right. Um, I wanted to give a couple of, uh, like I said, there is this big deal about the, the vengeance of God. A lot of people don't like that prayer because it says it shows a vengeful side, but just consider this. Vengeance is indeed a part of the character of God as is evidenced in both Testaments. In, the con in this context, the wish for retribution is not an expression of personal antagonism toward the other. So they're not calling out, Lord, vindicate them because they, they did something wrong to me. They're saying, Lord, vindicate, pass your judgment upon them because of what they've done to your own and for your namesake. All right. Caird notes that this prayer uh, uses legal language of public justice and not personal revenge. The point at the issue is not the reaction of the saints to their persecutors, but the need for the validity of their faith to be attested. Okay? Don't vindicate me personally. Vindicate the one whom I've put my faith in. Vindicate yourself. Because we have, we have stood our ground. We have given our lives for this. And so now demonstrate that you are who we have witnessed that you are. Not for our sake, but for your sake. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and their sisters were killed just like they had been. Each of them was given a white robe. Many comment, this is another one of those issues. Many commentators suggest this is their new body. That's not true. This is not the resurrected body. Um, a lot of people say that this is a direct uh, representation of purity and faith. Whereas this is true, it is also a connotation of what is the theme of Revelation? What is the theme for the saints of Revelation? This goes back to um, the controversy with the white horse, but in this case, this is actually a positive symbol of the white. What is the theme of Revelation with regards to the saints of God? Victory. The ultimate cons con uh, consummation of the victory of God for the, for, the, for the saints. So they are given a white robe. Why are they given a white robe of victory? So this goes back to the seven churches and the letters to the seven churches. He who perseveres till the end, to him I will give a white robe. Okay? So you see the forward backward here? So they're given a white robe because they were told they were going to be given a white robe back in chapter 2 and 3. So this, is, this again parallels with what's going on in the churches and tells us that what is happening here... And who these people are, are those that have already died in the church age, in the early church, even in the first century. 
This is not something we look forward to going way up in the distant future, people that die in a tribulation period. The white robe then is to be understood as the garment of overcoming and therefore of victory since that is the primary message of Revelation. Rest a little while longer until the full number of the fellow servants are killed just as they had been. I got to fly. Um, this phrase is the immediate answer to the saint's question, how long? A little while longer. The phrase, is probably, the phrase probably comes from Haggai 6, uh, 2, 6, and 7, um, where the Lord says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, because right after this seal, the next seal is a great earthquake. So Haggai says, how much longer until you shake the heavens and the earth? So there's a direct link back to Haggai. Um, this phrase, a little while longer, is interpreted in different ways depending on your personal her hermeneutic. Uh, a little while longer in premillennial interpretation is seven years. Because those who are dying here in premillennial dispensation are not those who die within the, the church age. There are those that die in the seven-year tribulation. So a little while longer is a direct reference to the amount of time that still remains during the great tribulation that they put a seven-year designation on. Uh, all millennials and historic premillennials who understand Revelation to span the interadvental period interpret the phrase in historic redemptive terms, meaning that the span of time during which the plan of redemption is brought to fulfillment is but a short time when compared to the coming eternal new creation. So what is being said here when it says wait a little while longer is not earth time but God time. Okay, so that goes back to a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. That's God time. Okay, so a little while longer here should be understood in that. A little while longer is till the full number of your, of, uh, your full number has been completed. That is also a definite statement with regards to election. Because God knows what that full number is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an established number known by God. And He will not execute His judgment until that number has been reached. And in chapter 7, we see that the full number again is brought about, 144,000. Well, that's a symbolic number, which means fullness and complete. So, we'll get to that. Um, all right. Let's just jump ahead. So, the fifth seal is open. We'll do this here. The saints of those who died during this time period are taken into the presence of the Lord and told to wait a little while longer until the interadvental period is done, until the consummation of what? Until the sixth seal. The sixth seal brings about the answer. And what is it? Uh, and let's give real quick a, a couple of um, preliminary statements on the sixth seal. Um, who's got a Bible handy? Can you read real quick, Kevin, uh, the sixth seal, which I don't know the exact, uh, verses 12 and forward, okay. chapter 6. And I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sack sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. 
And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let me answer that question real quick for you because I, I want to. This is one of the things that I want to answer, and I want to make sure that it gets answered before I have to stop today. The question is posed by those that run to the rocks The great day of the wrath of God has been released. Who can stand? Right? Who? Do you know that that scripture, that, that actual question is answered in the very next chapter? And I looked and I saw a great multitude that no one could count. And what are they doing? They're standing before the throne. So the question, the rhetorical question that's asked at the end of this chapter is actually answered in chapter 7. Who can stand? Those who stand before the throne. Those who have put their trust in God. They can stand during the great trial and the great tribulation. So that's a very cool thing. So, sixth seal, introduction and overview. Again, we see the structure of the seal order as having significance. As stated, we understand the final clause of the previous seal to actually state that those under the altar must be patient until the end of the age, right? B, wait a little longer until the full number of yours is sealed, uh, until the full number of those who die is complete, right? That's what it said. So, very next statement Sixth seal is open, which depicts the end of the age. So there is a continuity to the seals. So if you interpret the seals, trumpets, and bowls as individual structures and individual or isolated events that happen, you've done injustice to the structure of what's going on here. The seals all work together. The first four seals create the climate. The fourth seal showing what happens to those who die during the climate. The fifth seal shows what happens to the dead, those who die in Christ during the interadvental period. And the whole picture is brought to conclusion on the sixth seal. Seventh seal, interestingly enough, and the reason that the seventh seal does not correspond with the seventh bowl and the seventh uh, trumpet is because the seventh bowl, once the seventh seal is open, now the plan of redemption is in play. This is preliminary to the plan of redemption being executed on the world. And what happens when the seventh seal is opened? The trumpet of the trump. Yes, there was silence, and then the trumpets of God began. So the actual judgments that this structure allows for are now poured into this structure. So the, when the seventh seal is open, boom. The plan of redemption is now executed in full. Okay? The sixth seal is a looking forward to show that, and the reason that the sixth seal is in here is to demonstrate that all of the previous seals, one through five, are continuing until the end of the age. That's why the sixth seal is put there. Because it shows that seals 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 will all carry on from the time that Jesus took the scroll until the great earthquake. So this will actually be a truth during the entire church age. 
That's why, that, that, that's why the seal is there. So um, the sixth seal should also be considered as depicting the same events as the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl at the end of the age. We've said that. Um, any questions real quick? Do I run off and leave anybody? Oh. Where did I leave you? All right, let's go back and then. All right, well, there's that. All right, the sixth seal corresponds to trumpet seven and bowl seven, okay? All three of those depict the end of the age. Okay. The reason that it's the sixth seal and not the seventh that corresponds, which you might think it would, is because the sixth seal actually opens, or the seventh seal from the scroll actually opens the pronouncements of judgment that actually opens the plan of redemption. Now the plan of redemption is executed. Again, most... Commentators will say that the opening of the scroll by the breaking of the seals is a preliminary event that sets the stage in general terms as to what's going to happen from the rest of the book. And those general terms are this. There will be a climate of political and military upheaval. There will be a climate of strife and murder where peace is taken from the earth. There will be a climate of famine and disparity and lack and, and want. And finally, there will be a, a, a structure, a, a cult, an antichrist culture that centers and orients as the culmination of all of those horsemen in death, which is the ultimate thing that goes back to Genesis. For he knows if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. So this is the culmination. This is the promise. This, this actually vindicates God. If you eat of the tree, you die. All of those who subscribe, the inhabitants of the world that subscribe to the kinetic or, or Canite lifestyle will die. Or the first Adam. They die. This is the ultimate scenario. So the first four seals are general, and, and they create the environment. What is actually also, so if everybody who dies during the interadvental period, during this general climate that's created by the four horsemen, where do those who die apart from Christ go? Hades. He follows death, which is a part of the fourth seal. Where do those who die in Christ go? To the altar. See, I'm working this into your thinking. Where do they go? They go into the presence of God. It's a general statement. So we're creating a general structure into which the rest of Revelation will now pour into. So the first six seals create this environment. They create this structure. They, they create the, the, the climate of the world in its fallen state in general terms. They show you what happens in general terms to those who die apart from Christ, and they show you in general terms what happens to those who, go, who die in Christ. Two different positions. One goes to hell, one goes to the presence of Christ. 
Then they bring along the sixth seal, and Kevin just read it. And what happens in the sixth seal? It's symbolic language. Do stars actually fall from the sky and hit the earth? Is there a problem with that picture? How big is a star? Can it hit the earth? Can a whole bunch of them hit the earth? No. They can't. Do, does the sky roll up like a scroll? Probably not. Does the sun literally turn to blood? Probably not. What is it a de depiction of? The end of the age and the actual culmination where P Peter actually says, and the, heaven, and the old heaven and the old earth burn up with intense fire. It says even the uh, molecules. Yeah, yeah. The old creation is done. Now, the reason that this sixth seal is here is because all of that we have said here through seals one through five will continue until the end of this age. So the sixth seal here demarks the, uh, gives delineation or marks the culmination or the ending of all the seals prior to it. It gives a context. Here's the start. Give the, give the scroll to my son. One like, one like the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days and received a kingdom from him. Daniel chapter 7 is the picture that we see in Revelation chapter 5. And who is worthy to open the scroll? The Lamb who was slain. And he took, took the scroll and he began to open the seals. So this is precursory. All right? So this is the beginning Beginning of the church age, church age, age, begin, here, and this is end, church age. And everything in between here goes for that duration. That cleared up? So general terms. Okay, this is general and should be understood in general terms. Now, when the seventh seal is broken, now we have the release of the actual execution of God's judgment on the world. Up to this point, what God has done is create the environment. The interesting thing is in that chapter 7, there's an interlude. What happens during that chapter 7? A vision of... The 144,000 being sealed. Hold the four horsemen back. Do not let them destroy anything until the sealed of God are, till those who are, are mine are sealed. So before all of the stuff and the judgments are executed, God knows who are his own and he seals them. And that goes back to a lot of the Old Testament where the priests of God are sealed with the placard on their head. Um, and we are all supposed to be uh, priests and saints, high priests of our God, right? So we'll get to that eventually. Um, these verses of the sixth seal depict the consummation and the answer to the saints. Please, we have already said that this is the actual last judgment since we were told that the kingdom would not be executed until the full number of the saints under the altar had been brought to fullness. So once this number here is complete... That happens. All right? 
Um, the scene here assumes then that the uh, persecution of the elect has finally been concluded and all that remains is to execute the final judgment upon the city of man, which brings to conclusion world history. The word earthquake is always used to demonstrate what can be shaken will be shaken. And in this case, the word great is used, which means that at this point, everything will be shaken. Not just the earth, but so also, also the heavens. Because it says, I saw the stars fall. So this particular earthquake, this particular event here, marks the absolute and complete end of this current age. And from this point on is the new creation. All right? Um, we know this to be the final judgment because of the phrase great earthquake is also used in uh, chapter 16, 18, along with the description of mountains and islands being removed, and in 16, 20, just as it is here. Thus, the two speak of the same event. There, the earthquake occurs after the final con conflict, commonly called Armageddon. I'll close with this. What do you guys think Armageddon is? Do you actually think that there's going to be a great horde of armies that somehow position themselves in the Middle East and start shooting cannons up in the air? That seems odd. If you're, if you're going to wage war on God, who are you going to bomb? Then that's actually true. The great conflict of Armageddon is what we see just before the flood of Noah. When right at the last, unless God intervenes, the, the elect of God are almost wiped. How many people were there found in the days of Noah? Eight. And what does Jesus says? Before the coming of the Son of Man, it will be as the days of Noah. Okay, so there's going to be a great conflict. The Armageddon is going to be when finally the beast says, we have done it. We have eliminated God's people from the earth. We have all but eradicated Christianity. It's done. It's over. And then the two witnesses that were slain that they are now celebrating over will be resurrected and caught up into the air and the world will know, oops, maybe not. Okay, so it all ties together. So the sixth seal, read it, uh, because we got a late start today. The sixth seal, read it, has to do with the end of the age and depicts symbolically the end of creation, the old order, completely. Heaven and earth. So images of both heaven and earth are in, involved there. Again, there's a lot of speculation as to what the sun and moon is. And most people understand it to represent kings and authorities because those are used oftentimes of dynasties in symbolic literature. So for, for it to become black and the sun, uh, the sun to become red and the, the moon sackcloth means that there, that's an end to all of po politics, human politics and human governance. So what we see in seal six is the actual end of, of the age. And it's here because all of this comes to a conclusion and carries on until the end of the age. I've got to stop. I know I went fast. Re-listen to the, ta the, the tape. I will not be here next week. Rick is going to jump into the, 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 um, inter what's called the interlude and talk about the 144,000.